Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, the 22nd chapter of Matthew, these words, And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without any wedding garments? And the man stood speechless. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Excuses, excuses. We've all said it many times before as we've heard the excuses either that we bring to one another as husbands and wives when one has offended the other and the other one attempts to excuse themselves for what they've done. We've heard it from one another as parents and children, certainly as children, teens, whatever it might be, would make excuses for what they have or haven't done. And we've said it a hundred times, excuses, excuses, certainly in this most recent time with all of the financial debacles that we see happening in our own country, there are all kinds of excuses that are coming from every quarter in the government and elsewhere for the problems that beset us. We're very familiar with excuses being made. Most excuses aren't very good excuses either. Some years ago in the Toronto newspaper, they invited school teachers to submit some of the best excuses that they'd ever received from their students for assignments not handed in or for coming late to school or for whatever it might be. And here are some of the prize winners. One student explaining why he was late seriously said, I was abducted by aliens and I was interrogated for three hours. Another student telling why he'd failed to turn in an essay said, the bus driver read it and really liked it and wanted to keep it. Another said, I got mugged on the way to school. I offered the guy my money, my watch, and my ring, but all he wanted was my essay. <laughs> Most excuses are about that quality, aren't they? Most excuses are pretty lame, pretty hard to believe. In fact, we could surely say in most cases that silence would be a lot better than our excuses so often are. Such was the case in our text for today. There's no doubt about it that silence would have been better than what the man came out to say. Jesus here compares the kingdom of heaven in our parable that he tells today to a banquet that's prepared by a king for his son. And then he sends out his servants to tell those who had already been invited that everything now was ready for the banquet, so they had been invited by the king's gracious will toward them. And he goes and he prepares the banquet. Now he says, come, everything is ready. Everything is ready to celebrate with my son, but they refused. Can you imagine not only having a banquet to which you're invited, but a banquet that's been prepared and then to refuse to come? And undoubtedly those who refuse to come had a number of excuses as well. And so the king, being a patient and a generous man, sends out more servants to these unthankful and ingrates. And he sends them to them and they refuse again. They paid no attention indeed to the invitation that was extended again, some of them even rebelling against him openly, seizing and killing the messengers that had been sent by the king, parallel to the parable that we heard last Sunday as well. It's clear who the Lord is speaking of here, isn't it? He's speaking indeed of 
ancient Israel. He's speaking of the people of Israel whom God had invited by his gracious will to be his very own. He's speaking of the people that painstakingly had been prepared by God to receive his son when he finally would come incarnate into the world. He's speaking of people who had been so richly blessed, not only by having the prophets, but having the Son himself of God come from their midst. And through his servants, the prophets, he told them so many things about how his Son would come. He told them through his prophets how he would miraculously come. Behold, he said, a virgin doesn't happen, but once a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He not only told them how he was going to come, but he told them where he was going to come. As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from out of you will go forth one for me to be ruler in all of Israel, and his goings forth are from long ago, even from the days of eternity. So he told them not only how he would come through a virgin, not only where he would come there in Bethlehem Ephrathah, but he told them also what he would be doing as the son who would be coming, what he would be doing and how he would do it. He, the prophet Isaiah said, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. And those are but a few of the prophecies that our Lord Jesus so evidently Fulfilled, fulfilling those and dozens of others of Old Testament prophecies, Christ came. But Israel received him not. They were invited. They were given the invitation over and over again. The feast was ready. The sun came, but they received him not. They would not celebrate the coming of the king's son. And no wonder Jesus painfully says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how I wanted to gather your children together in the same way that a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but ye would not. Ye would not. But still intent to have a banquet for his son, God the king sends out more servants even beyond Israel then. Go out, he says, into the streets, invite everyone to come to the banquet. Everyone. I'm reminded of something that was in the paper a while back about a certain Miss Kathleen Gooley who was all set for her wedding day and she'd put down a $4,000 non-refundable deposit for the reception and suddenly she found herself without a groom. So she figured, well, as long as I put down that kind of money for a deposit, I may as well make use of it. And so she invited as many people from the homeless shelters in the area and the drug rehab centers in the area that she could and invited them all to have her reception with her, being that her groom would not come. A memorable banquet indeed that despite the tragedy of it all for her, they still all enjoyed. But somewhat the situation in our text for today, those who were at first invited wouldn't come. Despite the fact the king sends out this invitation and he then goes and sends his servants into the streets and he invites everyone to come. Into the streets he invites everyone to come. Important phrases to keep in mind. The servants gathered everyone they could find. All of the people that they could find, the text says. Note well, 
There were no pre-qualifications, personal qualifying prerequisites that had to be there for the king in order to come to his banquet, no preconditions that had to be met before someone would be extended the invitation. Everyone is invited. Everyone's invited, the good and the bad, the text says. Made no difference if they were morally upright people that were striding proudly down the street, attending to their respectable professions and businesses, or if they were gutter bums, lying beside the street with an empty wineskin in one hand and even probably a woman of the street in the other. No preconditions. The servants were to invite everyone that was there upon the streets. Everyone was invited to come to the banquet that had been prepared by the king for his son. Not that the king was about to overlook their condition, not that he wasn't going to clean them up, not that he was going to prepare them to be there in the banquet place as guests to celebrate the banquet with his son. No, indeed, they could not be there, notice, without the garment which the king would provide. They couldn't be there with their simple street clothes on. This was a banquet for the king's son. No ordinary clothes would do. Whether it was the finer clothes that was worn by the socially respectable or the rags that were worn by the socially despicable. None that we had provided, none that the invited provided would do. It had to be something else. It wasn't good enough to have the high fashion garments of self-righteousness that might be worn by the Pharisees that were, according to the prophet Isaiah, like filthy rags unto the Lord. Or if it was the well-worn and sin-torn garments that would be worn by others in society, by donned by those sinners who didn't try to hide it. Luther once said, Wir sind Bettler, das ist wahr. Beggars all, beggars all, that is true, he said. And that's what we all are as we come to the banquet of the king, beggars all. We all, no matter what we might be in this world, have inadequate attire. Each of us has to wear, if we're going to be in the banquet of the Son, the garment that is provided by the Father who invites us. One man in our text refused to wear the wedding clothes, obviously. The king coming into the banquet easily sees him because he's there in his own provided garments rather than that provided by the king and the king points him out and the king says when he comes into the banquet how did you get in here without the wedding clothes and the man the text says is speechless the king had him thrown out into the outer darkness the kingdom of heaven is like this, Jesus said. We're all invited to it. God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be there. God wants us all there. But to be there, each what must be wearing the garment that's provided by heaven's king. No other garment will do. Sew together whatever you want to sew together with the threads of your own good works. Sew together the most elaborate apparel that you can, it won't do. 
Don the dandiest dress of goodness that you can knit together over all of your years of hard labor. It won't do. Wear the grandest uniform that earth has to offer with all of the medals that it might have and all of the honors that might be bestowed upon it. It won't do. There's but one garment. Talked about today in the intro that you sang, coming from the Psalms of old, one garment that will do. God hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's the only garment that will do. But one garment that God requires to be worn, but one that will do, and that garment is none other than the garment of salvation that has been purchased for you by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Scripture says. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. That's how you have that garment of salvation that was purchased by Christ for you. That's how it's put on you in holy baptism. In prophetic anticipation of Christ clothing his people with his righteousness from above, the prophet Isaiah writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul will exult in my God for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me about in his robe of righteousness, as we've heard. The prophet Zechariah picks up on that same garment theme, that garment language, which so beautifully and prophetically describes God coming to graciously clothe his unclothed people. And he so beautifully and prophetically describes it as he writes about a certain high priest whose name was Joshua. And he says, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and the Lord said to those standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festal robes from righteousness on high. Those who wear the robes of God's righteousness, those who by grace wear those robes, are those which St. John sees before the throne of God in the book of Revelation, and he says, these are they who have come out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There's no garment of salvation apart from that which God freely provides you through the blood of Jesus Christ as it's applied to you through the sacrament of holy baptism where you put on Christ no wonder that reflecting upon these words of St. John, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. There was a, a hymn writer, Nicholas Zinzendorf, over 250 years ago that wrote these words that we've sung. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. You can lift up your head today, too. You can lift it up unto the end of the world. Should it be in our day, in that day of our children, that day in any age, in every age to come. You can lift up your head no matter how numerous or great our days are. You don't have to hang your head low, mumbling, worthless excuses anymore. 
because you, by God's grace, have been provided with the garment of salvation, even the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can lift up your head high because through faith in Christ, your sins, my sins, they've been removed from us all, Lord. I believe we're sinners more than sands upon the ocean floor. You have for all a ransom paid, for all a full atonement made. You can lift up your head high, not in pride, not in pride, as if you had made the garment yourself or even put it on yourself, but in gratitude and in thankfulness in confidence, knowing that God, who graciously acted in time and in history to save your soul, is working still, even today through his word that you hear, through his sacraments that you receive, in every circumstance of your life to get us from where we are now to where he has destined us to be. Years ago, Lutheran pastor and writer, Dr. Herman Gockel, wrote about a picture that appeared in a newspaper. And yet this picture, he said, in a very simplistic way, preached a, a powerful sermon. It showed a crowd of people that were walking along a busy street, and each person had his head tilted downward at the same angle as this whole massive crowd was walking along. Everybody was looking down, each with his eyes focused on the sidewalk below. And at the bottom of the picture appeared this insightful caption. It said, almost no one looks up anymore. Well, you and I do. You and I can look up. We can look up through the forest of steel and concrete in which we carve out our livings for ourselves and for our families. We can look up beyond the suffocating walls of sickness so often that surround us and other sadness and sorrow. And we can see as we look up the distant crest beyond which lies that eternal tomorrow into which we've already been baptized. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord. We can look out from all that surrounds us and look up into the panorama of all the promises of God which he has laid out so clearly in scripture before us because through baptism God hath clothed us with righteousness from on high. The righteousness of Christ and he's prepared us a banquet in eternity for all of us to attend. And here, even by his grace, he provides us, as we so often receive, a foretaste right there in the sacrament of the altar, a foretaste of that feast to come. We can look up because through Christ, heaven's eternal tomorrow always holds far more than earth's best day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.